thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. Glad to have you with us. Good to have our friends from Washington. So you're Emily's parents. Right. Okay, yeah. Emily Bill's parents. Good to have you all with us today. How long do you stay? Just a week. Just a week. Okay, good. Is that Washington State? Yeah. Where at? Seattle area. South of Seattle. I know my sister-in-law, she's in Newport. Oh. By Spokane. Yes, okay, yeah, that's the opposite side. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're glad y'all are with us for a little bit. Well, um, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, so the handout's the same as, as last week. So we'll start, uh, and we'll start down at the bottom of that page one. We kind of did some of that last week, but we're going to kind of re- retread that a little bit to get, get going. So we're talking about speech, about words. And um, I thought I would kind of frame this for you with this little goofy illustration. And uh, because these things will come up all through our discussion, uh, maybe the rest of the time in Proverbs, but particularly uh, today. So let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll begin. Our Father, we thank you now that we can rest ourselves in your care for us today. We we thank you for your great steadfast love uh, that you've shown us even from all of eternity and our great longing and desires that we would know and experience your love today. Um, we know you love us with an unconditional love and how we want to walk in it and, and abide in, in your love uh, as you've shown us in our Lord Jesus Christ. And one way we want to do that is to look at your word and to delight in it and to rejoice in it. And we thank you for it, that you've given it to us and that you do teach sinners in your way. And that's us today. We need your instruction and your help. But we need the work of your spirit too, that we may love your word and love your commandments and walk in them. So we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that today in our class and throughout our time, here that he would be highly exalted among us and we would find him glorious and beautiful that we may love him more and we pray in his name amen okay well thinking about words and uh, the implications of words so i've got these two uh, fellows here one's happy and one's sad and i've uh, i didn't call this fellow a fool i I labeled this side a, a foolish person and this side a wise person, and I'll show you that in, in a minute. But I, as I was going through this myself, because uh, I did have a fool over there, and as I was just writing it out on my piece of paper, I thought, uh, well, my description of this guy describes me sometimes. And so the point is, even as God's redeemed people, we still have foolishness in us. And so this is instructive to us there. But the point I want us to see is we, we've already seen these things, but I think it's really important. And that is uh, uh, our speech is important and, and the power that it has. And it comes out of our mouth, but it doesn't start there. Where does our speech start? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And particularly, it's a reflection of, uh, of our desires. 
And so that's the same for the for the wise person. Uh, desires, and but foolish speech, uh, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, which is kind of scary, and because our words are going to give away our heart to people. If we if we say enough and people listen long enough, they're going to know our heart. That's why, as we're going to see, if a if a fool keeps his mouth shut, you know, he's probably better off because people won't know. But he can't do it. A fool cannot keep his mouth shut. So we always can discern his heart. But two problems uh, with the desires of a fool, and I'm, I'm saying this is an unregenerate person, that uh, one, his, his, uh, his desires may be uh, disordered. Disordered. Disorder? Yeah. Yeah, they, it may be disordered, they may be sinful, it may be wrong in themselves. That's a, one of the problems. So he's spouting out those disordered desires. Uh, but the other one may be... Uh, I just use the word demanded. And, and this is where this gets all of us. We have these legitimate desires, but... Uh, when they don't get filled by the by the other person that we're talking to, then we raise them to demands. And that's when it causes trouble. That's what James 4 says. The reason you have conflicts among you is you have desires that aren't being met. So, by the way, I want to put this into a uh, um, kind of a conflict mode. That there's a conflict between these two people. It could be between two fools or two wise people, but I want you to, as we look about the idea of words, and everything we're going to look at today in, in the Proverbs 17 and 18 is all in the context of a conflict. There's something going on. So I don't usually have a big problem with my words when I'm by myself. You know, and I mean, you still got to talk to yourself the right way, but this is in the, in, in the con context of a, of a conflict. So this speech comes out. And here's the thing that, that I want us to connect here that I think is really important. And that is because he has disordered his he has disordered desires that he wants to, to push forward, or he has demanded desires that aren't that aren't being fulfilled by the other person, then uh, what's what's the emotion that he has? Frustration. Frustration and anger, anger yeah. So So that's what we see uh, in a foolish person and when we're foolish, if we don't get our way, then anger is, is the result. We're going to see this so clearly uh, today. So here's the wise, the wise person, and we'll say this is the, uh, the regenerate person. Uh, he has desires also, and just think about the new covenant, he has a new heart, and God has written his law on his heart, so... so uh, as a, as a regenerate God's people, we love God's law. We have a we have a trajectory toward wanting to keep God's law. And I guess we can say that uh, uh, as we've been looking at this, the fear of his perspective is the fear of the Lord, and we'll see that too. So, so his speech comes out of good desires, and uh, and he's he's humble. He uh, uh, he's aware of his own faults and he's concerned about that so he's he's restraining his words he he knows I better be careful what I say because I'm gonna 
hurt somebody or make a fool of myself or something like that. So <clears throat> kind of keep that um, keep that in mind and remember that that uh, we this may be our identity, <clears throat> but our behavior can be that can be that too. <clears throat> okay, well, let's look at back at our text and <clears throat> excuse me in Proverbs. Uh, <clears throat> you may remember last week. Excuse me. We started in Proverbs 18, <clears throat> and we looked down at uh, verses 20 and 21 just to kind of get the <clears throat> the bottom end of this text, because <clears throat> this talks about uh, the fruit of man's words. But then as we noticed that really this section begins all the way back in chapter 17 <clears throat> in verses uh, 27 and 28. So let's go. Let's go back to 17 and look at uh, verses 27 and 28. So sometimes these words are clearly spoken of as a fool, as foolish words. Sometimes as as uh, uh, wise words. But sometimes it's just a just a, a recognition of of the power of, of words. And I think. The Hebrew scholar people think this is a flow of a text that goes from from uh, Proverbs 17, 27 to 18, uh, 21. But frankly, I couldn't see how every verse flowed with that. That's my fault. Uh, <clears throat> I think part of it is we don't understand the Hebrew poetry and you know some of the other things going on there. But there's plenty here for us to think about uh, for <clears throat> for words. So looking, let's just look at verse uh, 27. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. So just looking at our silly little drawing here, can you see there's there's at least two people talking here. There's a conflict going on, and uh, Solomon is describing it for us. Um, what does it mean uh, when it says uh, he restrains his words? How do you restrain your words? Do you think before you talk? Yeah. I said think before you talk. Okay, think before you talk. Yeah, and this isn't a hard question. This is restrain your words means to to uh, slow them down and, and uh, to think about it before you before you talk. By the way, I, I was uh, um, working with a with a fellow that had an anger problem, and we were working through a book together on anger. And after, and he had real trouble with anger at work and with with customers and fellow workers, and and really almost got violent in the way he when his when his when his desires became demands, and it really caused him trouble. But one day he said, "This is working," and I said, hey, "What do you mean?" He said, "My I'm able to, you know, I haven't blown up at a customer or, or anything lately." I said, "Why?" And he said, "Because." I'm learning to slow down the process. Instead of just blurting out what comes first, I'm slowing it down. I'm restraining my words. And I said, well, tell me some more about that. He said, well, I know that that my words represent, and my anger represents some desire that I have that's not being fulfilled. So I'm tracing my my what I want to say back to my heart and I see if that desire is an appropriate desire from just something I'm demanding that I don't have to demand. So it was a there was an obvious lesson for me that 
Now that's what we do, and we all know that, don't we? In our, you know, I, I, we're going to talk about community relationships here. And last week I said that for me the smallest community is uh, me and my wife, and boy, this is a that's a microcosm for me to learn these things, and I'm. I'm afraid in God's providence he's given me several opportunities the last couple of weeks to, to play this out either uh, by God's grace pretty good or by my willfulness not, not so good. But um, So, um, restraining our words uh, uh, has knowledge. You know, interestingly, um, what is the counterpart to, uh, to speech? What's the opposite of this? Listening. Yeah, listening. So notice, you know, just kind of read it into there. If we restrain our words and not speaking, then hopefully we're we're listening. And a fool does not listen. He has ears on the side of his head, but they're not for listening. They're just to hold up his hand, I guess. Or when we're foolish, we're not we're not listening. We're not gaining gaining knowledge. <clears throat> now notice the uh, verse twenty-seven is clearly a. a an example of Hebrew parallelism in poetry. So, whoever restrains his words uh, has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. So look at the parallelism. One who restrains his words also has a, what, what kind of spirit? A calm or cool, cool spirit. So what's the opposite of a cool spirit? Well, you know, these are easy questions, aren't they? You make a hundred on this test. Uh, so a cool spirit, and so he's not, you know, he's not, uh, he's listening, he's he's checking out his desires, and he's not, he doesn't have, a, he's not angry uh, because of that. Now we don't have to go far just to see some really neat uh, uh, parallel passages. Look, just have to just turn a page and look back to. To uh, Proverbs 14. <clears throat> and this is really uh, just a parallel passage to Proverbs 17 27. Proverbs uh, 14 29. Proverbs 14 29. He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts or shows his. Shows his folly, shows his foolishness, and and then uh, fifteen one is another one, and this is one we've you probably thought of before. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So when these two people are having this conflict, um, one guy can stop this conflict with a, with a soft answer. Yeah, it may not turn away the wrath of the other person all all the time, but it takes two to have this conflict. And we're going to learn about how to respond to it. Well, I think maybe if we get through today, next week we're going to talk about the five fools in the book of Proverbs and how to respond or how, what's our responsibility to them. Okay, look at uh, uh, 16. Proverbs 16. And 32. This is really interesting. Uh, Proverbs 16:32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit 
And then he who takes a sin. Most people that, that are angry um, think of their angry think of their anger as weakness or strength. Think of as strength. Yeah. That's that's when we're angry, when we're in a conflict or a discussion, we we can use our anger to try to control the to control the outcome of the conversation or the discussion or whatever it may be. But uh, the writer of Proverbs says just exactly the opposite. That well, look at what he who slow he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. So anger is not a it is not uh, an evidence of strength. It's an evidence of weakness. So is the person that takes the city that's the angry person? I mean the fool? No, he's the he's the wise man that, that restrains his anger. He who it says he who rules his spirit, then he better than him. Yeah, so here's another parallel Hebrew parallelism. Being slow to anger is one who rules his spirit. Being mighty is one who takes a city. It's not saying that the one who takes the city is bad. It's just saying this person is better, more valuable. Making a value comparison. Yeah. Yeah, he's saying you have to have power and authority and might to take a city um, to win that argument. And the first part of the verse says um, it looks like you you have might and power to win an argument by being angry, but it's not it's not the case. Become person that's thinking about his words and listening, he's the one or she's the one uh, that will have the upper hand in resolving that conflict. Okay, one more. Uh, 19 11 1911. <clears throat> Good sense Proverbs 19.11 Good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So in this case it's somebody in, a, in an argument and one person is, is uh, defaming the other making, you know, making derogatory remarks about the other person dishonoring the other person and, and this passage here says uh, it is to his glory to overlook that. Well, that's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? Uh, so what he said, uh, this past uh, Thursday and Friday, I was at a biblical counseling conference and they had a little pre-conference for half a day on Thursday and it was on using Proverbs in counseling. So I got some, some uh, that's why I have so much material now, but... Uh, but it, there was one guy that talked about this ver this verse here, and he says, when somebody uh, attacks us, they're attacking our glory. They're attacking our, you know, our personhood and who we are. And uh, but the wise person 
we'll set that aside and say, I'm not in I'm not into this for my own glory, so it doesn't matter to me what you what you say about me. There his point was they're they're disglorifying me, but that's not my goal in life anyway, so that's I, I can just set that aside and uh, and stop the conflict right then, right then, or maybe say something like, or if you really knew my heart, you'd even see worse things about me than that. So you know, agreeing with your adversary is a, a good thing. Uh, and I think our speaker brought this up, that the Lord Jesus, of course, is our model in this member of 1 Peter 2. Let's see. Um, Oh yeah, 1 Peter 2.23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Um, It's too important to not remember it. Let me just read it to you. So, um, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So, well, there's our model, isn't it? Because Christ had the what we talked about, the fear of the Lord, then he didn't have to defend himself. He wasn't in this for his own glory. And so he didn't have to attack in return. And boy, what a, you know, talk about a wise, powerful man. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. And how, how we are that way too. When, when people attack us or, or say something derogatory about us, that... We appeal to the Lord and and uh, we just let that go by. We're not in this for our glory, so it's okay. Did you say that was Hebrews? No, I may have, but first Peter two first Peter two twenty three. <clears throat> so uh, let's go back to Proverbs seventeen. I would say that the key to having a cool spirit is to have the fear of the Lord. Because we're looking to Him for our defense. We're looking to Him for our identity. We're looking to Him for our encouragement. We don't have to have it from the other, the other person. Which just, you know, it just brings it back so much that, uh, that our speech begins somewhere else. It doesn't start. It doesn't start between our between our lips or our teeth that starts here. And um, we're so important that, you know, sometimes when I think about things I say to my dear wife, she's right over there, uh, that's why I was pointing there, uh, it may not seem too bad, but what I need to do is trace that thought that I want to say back to my heart and say, now what is the desire that's, you know, that's stirring me up here? Is that a legitimate desire that I'm demanding? And I have no right to demand it, or is that a disordered desire, that you know, a wrongful desire that I want, you know, that I want from from her? That, that didn't come out right, but but uh, it's so important to to bring it back to those to the desires, and then to confess our sins at the heart level, like you know, like the psalmist David said. Okay, let's. Dan, can I say something? Yeah, yeah, John. A lot of this is connected also with how you say something. It's not even so much the words. It's like when you discipline a child, if you're angry when you discipline a child, it's counterproductive. 
you can say the same things quietly and peacefully and lovingly to a child. It makes all the difference in the world. And adults respond the same way. Good. No, that's good. John said not only the what we say, but how we say it. And that kind of flows with this cool spirit and anger and things like that. That's very good. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, maybe we'll move a little bit quicker now. We looked at verse 28. Even a fool who keeps silence is considered wise when he does. When he closes his lips, he is... Uh, deemed intelligent, and we we remember that quote from Abraham Lincoln: "It is better to keep your mouth shut and let them think you're a fool than to open it and remove all doubt." Uh, you know, when you just think about the, if somebody said, "Give me three points of advice about about words," uh, what would you say to them, based on the kind of what we're Well, one was probably the fewer the better. You know, just if you don't know what to say, then you know, don't say anything. But uh, be be quiet. But then, before you speak, be slow. Think you know. Think about where are these words, what desires are these words coming from, and evaluate our desires and be slow in our in our speaking. And again, uh, being slow in our speaking gives us the opportunity to. Listen, and uh, like one fellow said, uh, seek not first to be understood, but to understand the other person, and then, you know, maybe show your, um, show your, show your position, and then you know, examine, uh, examine the desires of our heart. Okay, well, um, let's keep on moving here. In chapter eighteen. The, these three verses are, are really interesting because I think they're still describing the, the foolish person and really what his words do. What his words do. So now we're kind of getting into the community idea. And notice what, what Solomon says about this person. Uh, verse uh, 18, verse, I mean, chapter 18, verse 1. Um, I think what it really shows is he, he's he's turned in on himself. He's focused on himself. Uh, I remember hearing Paul Tripp saying, God created us to look upward and outward. You know, look upward to God, to love and to serve Him. Look outward to love and to serve our neighbor, the two great commandments. But because of sin, we define our lives by our desires, our wants, our, uh, you know, me, me, me. And that's kind of the essence of foolishness in some ways, isn't it? This this person is turned in on himself. Uh, I, when I see that in me, I guess I should hate it more than I do, but that really bothers me. I mean, it, it embarrasses me to myself that that uh, that I want things to be my way. And anyway, maybe you struggle with that too. So um, let's just read these three three verses. Whoever isolates himself uh, seeks his own desire. So, whoa, there we are, right there. Desire again. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So, again, he's not listening. He doesn't care about what the other person says or about somebody trying to give him wisdom. He just breaks out in his, in his word. And a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. 
So why do you think he's like that? Why does he? Why does the fool, and when we're foolish, why is all we want to do is express our opinion? What are we? What does that say about us or about the other person? What we think about them? Uh, that we're self-centered and we don't see them as equal. Okay. We're self-centered, don't see them as equal. We don't honor and respect them as people made in the image of God. Good. Control. 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 Yeah, we want to control everything. Uh, that's a scary place to have to be because it... Uh, it often doesn't work and causes conflicts in the relationship. And then notice verse 3, I think, is the result of that. When wickedness comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes disgrace. So we see kind of the, the, the downgrade of the community, um, that the community pushes these people away because they're, you know, they don't add to the community. They they cause conflict and, and disruption and disunity in the community. Um, you know, the New Testament is really strong about that, talking about disunity in a, in a church. Paul says, if someone is, a, is, a, is causing fractions and, and division in your church, warn them, I think once or twice, and then he said, and then they have to be removed because you can't, you know, a, a body of God's people cannot stand that kind of conflict and divisiveness um, in the body. I remember uh, a little booklet I read by uh, um, Richard Wormbrand, you know, the Voice of the Martyrs guy, and he was talking about um, how to prepare for persecution. I think he gave ten, ten things like memorize scripture and things like that. But one of the things he says was you must root out um, people that cause disunity in your body because your church will not be able to withstand outward persecution if there's disunity in the body. So that was really a... And I think it points out these things here. Okay, let's see. I'm going to try to cover these this material. <clears throat> um, so let's... Uh, well, we can read, read some more here. Uh, Proverbs 18... Um, four through eight. Would somebody read Proverbs eighteen four through eight for us? Uh, Rob, would you? Sure. <laughs> uh, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. To show partiality to the wicked is not good, nor to thrust aside the righteous in judgment. A fool's lips bring strife. And his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are the snare of his soul. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels, and they go down into the innermost parts of the body. Yeah, thank you. Well, there are several things here, but I'm going to look at the words particularly. Verse 6 is more what a word picture that is. A fool's lips walk into a fight. Can you, can you see a big... Lips. What, is that, what, is he, what does that mean? How do a fool's lips, lips walk into a fight? I think it kind of goes back to your diagrams. You know, with the speech, it comes out of the 
desires and it creates anger. I mean, I think we all know and see how angry people are overbite. Yeah. And his words kind of go out looking for a fight. Yeah. I don't know where the verses are. I can't really find them, maybe, but uh, a fool is very arrogant about his words. These are our words, more they're powerful, and you know, we're going to get things done with our powerful words. Um, and his mouth invites a beating. And look at verse 7. The fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. How are the lips of a fool a snare? Or how, are our, how can our lips be a snare to our soul? Okay, think about a snare. This is a trap. When you think about a, a trap to trap an animal, uh, to ensnare an animal. So how do, how do words entrap the person that spoke them? What does it reveal about the heart? The content. The content, yeah, that's right, yeah. So, isn't it, so Joyce says the, the words ensnare us because they reveal the contents. But just look at what is being said there. They intend to use their words to ensnare other people, but they ensnare themselves. Oh, a fool is his own worst enemy. Yeah, a fool is his own worst enemy. So, uh, John? It isn't just that you are initially caught, you stay, it has long-term consequences. Once the word is out and you hurt someone or anger someone, it just doesn't dissipate immediately. There can be long-term consequences just like you're stuck. You, 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 when you're caught in a trap, you're caught. Yeah. You know, getting out of it. So John says, I'm, I'm repeating that so that Lee will like me when, I, when he record, plays this recording. Um, so John says, this is also it speaks of the long-term entrapment. Because um, once you hurt someone, you can't put that back in the box. You yeah. have to live with that, that you've hurt someone, that you've offended someone. Yeah, so Joanne says, when you've hurt somebody, you can't just reel that back in. Haven't you ever seen this? You can almost see the words come out of your mouth like some kind of vapor, and you just, before they even maybe get to the other person, you push, oh, I wish I could get that back. And you can't, it's like feathers out of a pillow. You can't, you can't put it back. Now you can take steps to make restitution and you know, re recover the, the, uh, the damage done to the relationship, but it may not work. And that's tied into to the spirit patience and slowing up lets you be wiser about what you say, whereas if you just have immediate, you know, no connection between your brain and your mouth and it just pours right out. You, know, right. you are have a greater risk for saying something you kind of wish you had. Yeah. So the, the remedy here is to humble ourselves under God's under the fear of God and be, be slow in how we how we speak. Um, well let's see here. Uh, verse eight. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. So what are we talking about here? It starts with a G. Gossip. Gossip. It talks about, yeah, we're talking about gossip. Why, are, why is gossip like a delicious morsel? 
you know, the delicious morsel is like the finger food, you know, it's really good, tasty. Why is it? Why is it so attractive to us? Not only to say it, but to hear. But to hear, because the next verse is, um, and the next part of the verse, they go down into the inner parts of the body. They, you know, people. It's like uh, the junk food. Okay, it's like junk food, okay. It tastes good, but it doesn't do like anything. Yeah. What is it about us when we want to gossip about somebody? What, what does that Some say? Some of it's pride because I've got, I've got news that you don't have and, and I'm going to, you know, that makes me more important. Right. It's, a, it's pride because I have information you don't and I'm going to tell you, tell you about it. Yeah, it sets ourselves up above others. That's right. So, what should be our response when someone tells us gossip that they shouldn't be telling us? Well, this is kind of hard, but I think one would be, um, well, that's, that's a pretty serious concern you have about that person. Why don't you and I go and talk to them about that? Or have you talked to them about that and, and just push it back on them? But that's hard to do, isn't it? We love to hear those little morsels that gives us information that others don't have. Okay, well, uh, verse 9, I think it's just talking more about the community, but look at verse 10. We're beginning to turn the page now. We're getting, beginning to turn toward um, more wise words. And I think this is really, really good. The, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Now one commentator I read says he's a, that the name of the Lord is a strong tower to protect from this destructive person. And I think it, it could, be, could be true. Um, but i tell you what I thought about. I, if I'm in a conflict with another person, my greatest concern should not be what that other person can do to me. My greatest concern is what I'm getting ready to do to myself. Uh, so the focus is properly on ourselves, not on attacking the other person or winning, uh, winning the argument. By the way, if you do, you know uh, uh, the peacemaker. Uh, let's see, uh, Ken Sandy wrote the book The Peacemaker like 30 years ago, I think. We've got these little pamphlets, and they talk about how to resolve conflict. The whole point is, you know, be a peacemaker, as Jesus said in the, in the uh, Beatitudes. And they talk about it here about how uh, to make peace in a conflict. It's, I just refer that to you. I think we, I've got some of these if you'd like to, to have one. I, I keep one with me, obviously, because I, you know, in every counseling case, there's usually some kind of peacemaking that needs to be done. But um, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Now, what does he mean by the name of the Lord? By the way, you notice that L-O-R-D is all capitals, so that refers to what name, Rob, you know that? It's got a couple of names, it's to Valentine or Jehovah. Yeah, Jehovah or, or Yahweh, yeah. This is the name that, that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. It's it's the covenant-keeping God. It's, it's that, that God. Um, so, why is so when you see something the name of the Lord, what does it what does the writer mean when he says the name of the Lord? It's not just a 
rabbit's foot that we use. What does he mean when he talks about the name? His presence. Uh -huh. His character. His character. Yeah, it's all about who, who he is. So the character, the presence of God, that's where he runs. It doesn't say he casually walks. It says he runs. So why is he running? Well, he's, he's afraid of something. And he's got to get to safety uh, quickly. And uh, so we don't know what he's afraid of here, but I... Well, I think for me, I want to be afraid of what I'm getting ready to do to myself in the conflict that I have. And I'm going to, I want to run. If I'm, if I'm in a place of wisdom, I want to run to the Lord and, and uh, you know, cry out to Him. Lord, I've got a disordered desire here. I'm demanding something that I shouldn't demand. So give me grace to, to not do that. Um, Well, and also, so why, why is uh, the righteous man running to the end is safe? Why is he safe if he runs to the Lord? What's the safety that he gets there? Well, safety from, from some kind of danger. And you can just fill the blank, can't you? I mean, because our God is all-sufficient in his salvation for us, so whether it's safety from another person or safety from our own sense of condemnation or whatever it may be we can run to him and find uh, find safety there okay well notice the the, uh, the contrast there is um, that the that the name of the Lord is an actual it's an invisible it's not it's not able to be seen by the by the human eye but it is an actual place of safety but notice what he says about the rich man's wealth. The rich man's wealth is his strong city, and it's like a high wall. And his, it's not really a high wall, it's just a, he just thinks it's a high wall. And uh, so, all right, now verse 12. Verse 12 apparently is a, uh, it's a, I guess you'd say it's a pivot verse, it's a transition verse. <laughs> Connecting uh, specific things said about a foolish man's words and now connecting to a wise man's words. So just notice it there. Um, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. And so, uh, it's just, you just notice it's a, it's a summary of what he said about the foolish man and the, the foolish, when our heart is Foolish, it is haughty, and it brings destruction. But um, the wise man has humility, and that brings honor. Now, <clears throat> let's do a little bit more here. Well, don't do too much more. Maybe just looking at uh, verses 13 and 14. I mean, verses 13 through 15. I don't know what to do exactly with verse 14, but first. 13 and verse 15 are they compare they compare the, the foolish man and they to the wise man so look at those look, just try to leave verse 14 out of it for just a moment and look at verses 13 and 15 if one gives an answer before he hears it is his folly and shame what that is if one gives an answer before he hears the other side or before he hears the rest of the story then it is it 
it will it will show his folly and it will cause him shame. Yeah, why? Okay, it's a rush to judgment without having all the information. And that's why uh, in our biblical counseling training said in marriage counseling, you should always have the husband and wife in the same room. Because if you just have one, how many sides of the story are you going to hear? Just one. I mean, it's, it's, uh, anyway, so I'd rather just talk to one person because I don't like conflict, but the best way to do that is to have both of them in the same room. But how important it is to get the whole picture before we give an answer, before we state our opinion. Or our media has really messed this up, haven't they? Man, they will, they will gladly give either one side of the story or maybe just the supposed side of the story and make an opinion and you know, make us think that that's true. we got to be really careful about hearing both sides of the story. But look at verse 15. An intelligent heart acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks, uh, seeks knowledge. So this is kind of interesting, isn't it? Not only is the heart connected to the mouth, it's, uh, it's also, well, he's, he's got really big ears to mean that he's able to listen. The ear is also connected to the heart. The heart, the, the ear is the, is, the, is the data gathering organ for the heart. So it's the listening organ, isn't it? So the, uh, the, so what verse 15 says, um, an intelligent heart, it's, it gathers all the information that it can before it makes a, makes a choice. It may be that he's supposed to you know, examine his desires, but this seems to say he wants to get all the information he can to make a wise, uh, a wise assessment. The ear of the wise uh, seeks knowledge. So it's kind of like, like this. I'm going to listen to what, you know, what you have to say. Or, or to the facts or whatever they may be. I'm going to, I'm going to listen first. And, or doesn't, isn't this exactly what James says? Uh, let's be slow to speak, quick to hear, and slow to anger. Because the, right, because the anger of man does not accomplish the, what? the righteousness of God. No wonder James is, is the wisdom book of the, of the, uh, the New Testament. Well, I think our time is, is over, so we'll, we'll pick up here uh, next week. Thank you. I've got one of these pamphlets if you'd like to have, have it.